0: Another episode of Chart of Fortune, the astrology podcast, where I look at the birth charts of the moments and things that made pop culture. Oh, hi! My name is Elise Blaylock, and for my admission essay video, I'm going to tell all of you at Harvard why I'm going to make an amazing lawyer. As president of my sorority, I'm skilled at commanding the attention of a room and discussing very important issues. It's come to my attention that maintenance has been replacing our Charmin with generic toilet paper. All those opposed to chafing, say "I, I'm able to recall hundreds of important details at the drop of a hat. Hey, Elise, do you remember what happened on Days of Our Lives yesterday? Why, yes, Hazel, I do. Once again, we join Hope in the search for her identity. As you know, she's been brainwashed by the evil Stefano. I feel comfortable using legal jargon in everyday life. I object! And that's why you should vote for me, Elise Wailock, and future lawyer for the class of 2004. Yes, I said last week that I'm covering my favorite fictional Gemini. And spoiler alert, that favorite fictional Gemini for me is Elle Woods. But if you disagree, I respect that. And so I will have Instagram stories on Wednesday so you can vote on your favorite fictional Gemini because I would love to know who you love. So before I get into the astrology of the film Legally Blonde, I have a fun announcement in honor of Gemini season. Gemini season is, spoiler alert, Elle Woods' birthday season. It's also my birthday season. So naturally, I want to celebrate. But really, if you know me, and maybe you do, I like hate my birthday. Hate, hate my birthday. So instead, I'm giving you, my fabulous listener, a gift instead. Happy birthday, baby. Let's celebrate dads, grads, and the fact that it's finally summer in the Northern Hemi with episodes on Fridays. Yes, I'll be launching a special limited bonus episode series of what I consider a deep cut of early reality TV, MTV's Rich Girls. Because if you are like me and cannot go on an elaborate vacation, why don't we just spend that time talking about two overindulged teenagers who do go on elaborate vacations? So I hope you'll be on the lookout for my Summer Fridays short series on the show Mean Girls that starts this Friday, June 18th and runs until Labor Day weekend. So all summer long. But this episode also means that I have finally covered or by the end of this episode on Legally Blonde, I will have finally covered all of the movies in Ariana Grande's Thank You Next music video. It's like an EGOT for 2000s pop culture. You know, an EGOT being where like one person wins an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar and a Tony. But in this case, it would be Mean Girls, 13 Going on 30, Bring It On and now Legally Blonde. So maybe it'd be the... Mitbull, like M-T-B-L. Or maybe we we need some vowels. So maybe it's like the methibrileg. Okay, you know what? We're going to workshop it. We'll get it there. Because honestly, at this point, I would settle for having the cheekbones that I need to pull off Ariana's signature ponytail. But I will let you in on a secret. No luck there either. I'm going to continue this delusion by having me tell you that we can all get like bitchin cheekbones by manifesting at the up. full moon in Capricorn since Capricorns rule our bones or you could do what it's what I'm supposed to be doing which is avoiding salt dairy and of course crying for no reason that hasn't been working out so moving on let's talk about Legally Blonde and to talk about it can I tell you something this is episode I think 46 that I've recorded for this podcast some are special episodes some are regular and honestly I feel like we're at the place in our relationship where I can tell you that legally blonde, like, changed my life, kind of. Like, low-key changed my life. Just like how Elle and her friends love getting manicures and pedicures because it's the only thing that makes them feel better, this movie undoubtedly always puts me in a better mood. Maybe it's because I'm also a Gemini, and I love dogs, and I weirdly identify as blonde despite paying for that privilege my entire life. Maybe it's because I like dark-haired guys who went to law school and the color pink. Or I like a narrative where the underdog uses their intelligence, hard work, and ability to make friends to achieve their goals. And I really, really like it when chodes like Warner get their asses handed to them by smart, capable women who have absolutely no time for that prickish nonsense. And it's honestly a little bit of all of those things. Over the course of this podcast, I have made references to these pop culture fairy godmothers and pop culture gods and goddesses. But really, truly, deeply, I'm going to be uncharacteristically sappy for a moment and just tell you that Legally Blonde was a shining light in a shitty moment in my life. This was a a duce Machina moment for me here. So we'll set the scene. It's a quick story. It is the summer of 2001. I am going into eighth grade. Yes, if you are good at math, you can figure out exactly how old I am. And it's fucking old. And I have to go to summer school for a math class. To this day, I am not good at math, okay? But going to summer school meant that I had to admit that I truly failed at something. And that was incredibly hard for me. I mean, no one likes to fail. I I get that. I had never been good at math, but I also had never really failed a class before, Since my childhood took place over the 1990s, I was enrolled in gifted and talented children stuff, which I think is really just, um, bullshit. And I was also allowed to be truly lackluster athlete at school. So all the things I wasn't good at meant I was just like mediocre or it just went unspoken. But being a Virgo moon and not passing something and having to repeat a class, it hit that little Virgo moon very hard. Things were not going well for me at this moment. Uh, You have to know for context also that I was not killing it in the rest of my life, okay? I had the body type of like a baby horse. I was lanky, I was odd, I was random. I was not yet allowed to shave my legs. My beloved crush who I thought I would marry and also dodged a bullet, dear listener, was dating someone else who was also had a baby horse body but was allowed to shave her legs. But the pop culture gods smiled upon me in this moment when I was of course going through it. The universe was like Elise you are a dumb fucking bitch but damn it dumb people with knobby knees and very blunt bangs need good things to happen to them too. So they gave me the NSYNC celebrity album drop over the summer. They allowed me to make friends at summer school and we'd share Kit Kats and Diet Pepsi twists while pouring over the liner notes of the aforementioned NSYNC album. I learned to relish the quiet and kind of perverse nature of being at my middle school during the summer. How the walls were like a completely different shade of white and the hallways were filled with more sunshine and fewer people and how fast you could get from one end to the school of the to the other. I had an exceptionally nice math teacher who also really enjoyed the movie Legally Blonde. The origin of the watered-down white lady feminism that haunts my generation and has spurned us to more chuggy passions like chevron decor or infinity scarves or personalities centered around signature Starbucks beverages. This all started with the Spice Girls and Powder Puff Girls, and at Legally Blonde it was hitting a fever pitch. But in this moment, in 2001, in the incandescent glow of girl power and reclaiming being smart and hot, which frankly never needed to be reclaimed because it's always been desirable, this movie made me feel like I too could achieve something in my life. It imprinted on me a multi-year obsession to have curled long hair, possibly to have blonde hair, and a forever love of quippy comebacks. And whenever people online or in real life want to be shitty about Geminis, I stand resolute in the truth that this famous movie character out-and-out out declared that she was a Gemini. It's like how she introduced herself at Harvard Law School. So I suppose I should spend this moment thanking Amanda Brown, who wrote Legally Blonde, the book. Because yes, Legally Blonde was originally a novel which detailed Amanda's time at Stanford Law School, which I did not know until I started researching this episode. The book details Amanda's decision to go to law school, her experiences in feeling isolated by her classmates, and, spoiler alert, she just decides to leave. They told her she had to fill out a bunch of paperwork to do so, and she was like, nah, though. There's an article for the San Francisco Gate where she explains her reasons to going to Stanford as the following, quote, I want to go to Stanford when I saw the mall. I was like, hmm, Stanford Shopping Center. This is where I want to go. When I went for my interview, I checked out the polo store. I checked out Neiman's. So I became myopically focused. And real talk, I, again, we're going to go back to things I failed at. For a while in high school, I don't know. Maybe it's just because it was at 7 a.m. in the morning. I was on a science and, like, engineering aptitude uh team. And every year we got to go to Stanford um for the finals. And we were, like, the only girls there as far as the eye could see. Very, like, mathletes energy, but even weirder. Um, And so we got to go to the Stanford Shopping Center. It's great. So Amanda is correct on this point, although don't care about the polo store. She continues in the article to say, I had very good test scores. I was in my first year of law school in 1993, and I saw this flyer for the women of Stanford Law. So I was like, I'll go and meet some nice girls, whatever. I went to the meeting and these were not women. These were really angry people. The woman who was leading it spent three years at Stanford trying to change the name from Semester to Ovester. I started laughing, and I realized everyone in the room took it very seriously. So I didn't make any friends there. The school wasn't hard at all. It was the people, the most loathsome dose of antisocial disorder. It was like an anthropological study of the law school species, and since nobody talked to me after my Ovester moment where I started laughing, I had plenty of time to watch people and write letters. I was just writing letters to my friends to kind of amuse myself. By the end of my first semester, Sylvester, if you're fancy, uh, I had like 300 pages. I wrote it all on pink paper with my pink furry pen. I finally found an agent who picked it out of a slush pile because it was on pink paper. It went out to studios and publishing houses on the same day, and overnight there was a bidding war. MGM bought it, but it was rejected by everyone on the publishing side. End quote. So luckily for all of us, Amanda decided to move on from being an ashy blonde to a more southern auburn hair color. Okay, and also she wrote this book. She's a Libra sun sign, so maybe it's not a surprise that Legally Blonde actually began filming in Los Angeles on October 10th, 2000, making it a Libra sun Pisces moon. And in a way, a movie about the law and about being fashionable feels like it could only be a Libra sun. Libras are ruled by the planet Venus, so they love many of the things we commonly associate with beauty and style and aesthetic preferences. And the symbol for Libra is the scales. Okay, the symbol on your emojis is like a little bump and then a line underneath it, but it's supposed to be the scales. And that symbolizes balance and the concept of justice, aka law. Although you wouldn't be, you'd be forgiven if you said, you know, law and the law system, the law and order system in our country and justice are not the same thing because they are not. And to lighten the mood, a random fun fact about filming. They originally did pro- approach Stanford, who passed on the film. Um, it sounds like there's not a love lost, love lost between Amanda and Stanford, but Harvard agreed on This condition that they wouldn't really film a lot of the movie there because it would be disruptive to their classes. So there are some exterior shots, but everything else was filmed in Los Angeles or in the Los Angeles area. So when you look at this chart, October 10th, 2000, we're using noon as the birth time like we always do and we don't know the exact time that it filmed. The chart has a grand trine and they're all in air signs. Now a grand trine is not a common birth chart placement trines you're gonna see them a lot that's between two placements but a grand trine is between three and it's considered kind of auspicious like people see grand trines and they're like "Ooh, that looks good it's kind of like if you go to a potluck and then there's like that a really good looking dish like there's lots of stuff you know maybe somebody cut up watermelon someone else brought a cheese plate but then like somebody else bought something really fabulous like maybe a plate of brownies or chimichangas, if you know, you know. And you're like, ooh, that's that brownie chimichanga. Like the watermelon's good. We love a watermelon, but this is like the real good stuff. So if we are in fact the same person, then it's at this point that I believe you would want to pause the podcast and pull out your birth chart or your crush's birth chart or your dog's birth chart or a chart you're thinking of making to see if there are any grand trines lurking about. Okay I'm ready for you to pause me. Are you ready to check? You ready? Okay a trine normally is when you have two placements in the same element. So two things in a fire sign, earth sign, air sign, water sign. And they're usually no more than seven degrees apart. It's going to depend on the astrologer but I think seven's pretty generous. Definitely no more than 10. Okay we got that. So like let's say For a regular trine, you have your sun in 10 degrees of Leo, and your moon could be anywhere between 3 and 17 degrees of Sagittarius, regular trine. But to get the Burita Supreme Grand Trine, you need three placements in all of the same element, so all fire, all water, air, earth, with no more than 7 degrees apart from each of them. Okay, do you ever hear this stuff also when I'm talking about it or read it and you're thinking of like poker or gin rummy where they're like, you need four of these, three of those, that kind of thing? Or is that just me? Maybe it's me. Okay. Now in this chart, here's the grand trine. So if you write this down, maybe this will help you later. The sun is in 17 degrees of Libra, and that is forming a trine with Jupiter in 11 degrees of Gemini. And to complete the trine, the triangle, we have Uranus in 16 degrees of Aquarius. So Libra, Gemini, Aquarius, we got all our air signs. A grand trine is supposed to give us a real sense of ease, which is what a regular trine does. But a grand trine like beefs this up. And it's the idea that this person or like whoever has this grand trine, whatever has this grand trine is very successful. An air grand trine says that the person or thing with this placement is smart, it's intellectual, it's about ideas or communication. It's not a super emotional trine, right? It's about being lucky in some way, but it's supercharged. You know, a regular trine would be a movie that costs $18 million to make and doubled its profits. But this is a grand trine, so we're talking about a movie that cost $18 million to make and grossed over $141 million worldwide in the box office, and the DVD sales were also staggering. Now, in my experience, it has a 98% chance of getting a man's attention, and when used appropriately, it has an 83% rate of return on a dinner invitation. Wait, sorry, that's not a grand trine, that is the bend and snap. Apologies. Back to the grand trine. When we're looking at a trine, it's important to look at the planets. And it's also important when we're looking at a grand trine to look at the planets there too. So who are we working with, right? We have the Sun, Jupiter, Uranus. Okay, pretty good. These are all like neutral to good planets. And the themes of these planets are the Sun, self, you know, the idea of self, identity with Jupiter, its expansion, its belief with Uranus, its change and revolution, now, it's important to note here, and if you were looking at a chart, you want to do this too. Uranus in this chart is really strong because it's in its home sign of Aquarius. Um, if you were looking at this chart and you're trying to figure out um, what you want to look for, if there are any planets that are in their home sign or in a sign where they are exalted, and those are tables online. But but Uranus and Aquarius, Aquarius is ruled by the planet Uranus. So this has got a lot of energy to it. And Here I want to talk about like Uranus you know we think about revolution and there is this like almost violent upending energy but it could also just be that it's like revolutionary in that it just changes things. Like this movie changed Reese Witherspoon's life. You need to know that Reese Witherspoon if you don't know this already is a child actor and she was in like cruel intentions and I think fear was right around this time too but This movie is for many people, this elder millennial included. That's how people meet her because this is a PG-13 movie. It's definitely what I would call like a sleepover movie where, and Bring It On is this way too. In fact, all of the movies in the Ariana Grande music video are where you might have seen this movie on DVD years after it came out. And this is kind of your introduction into who Reese Witherspoon is. It's forever defined her career and I think Reese Witherspoon is very canny about this and I think she's smart enough to realize that like she could either fight this and go oh my god I don't want to like I'm not a woods you guys you need to stop or you do the savvy thing and realize that people loved you as a woods it's iconic it really is it's like the most iconic role you've had and you do stuff like going on the home edit and showing off all the costumes that you got to keep from Legally Blonde right in a Weird sun energy, like sun being self. It's really hard, I think, on some level to separate how much of this role is Reese Witherspoon and how much of this is just like the script and the vibe. And if you don't believe me, I want you to consider the following casting choices that did not end up happening. Originally, Christina Applegate was supposed to be Elwood. Now, I love Christina Applegate. She's fabulous and married with children. She's excellent on Dead to Me. She, I didn't get to finish all of Christine Who, but. I thought that was her, where it was really good. But Christina Applegate as Elle Woods just, like, doesn't quite vibe for me. So can you picture this movie with Christina Applegate? Maybe not. And I really think that you would have a hard time picturing this movie with Christina Applegate as Elle Woods and Chloe Sevigny as Vivian. Like, not Selma Blair. I feel like Selma Blair also, iconic as Chris. Uh, If you have not watched American Crime Story, she is Chris Kardashian. She puts people to shame. Um. And she was excellent in Vivian, as Vivian in Legally Blonde. Okay, back to the grand trine. If you have a grand trine in a birth chart, or one that you're just casually looking at and is totally not linked to anyone you're like mad crushing on, it means that you're going to see a giant freaking triangle in your birth chart. But if you pull up the Legally Blonde birth chart, you're going to notice something. It's not just like a giant triangle, like a pyramid where it's like equal on all sides. This one looks like a kite. You know the thing that everyone flies at the end of Mary Poppins and can be easily substituted when you need to tell someone to fuck off, but there are witnesses. For example, to say fly a kite, you might say, Linda, we're all tired of hearing about how everyone in your generation could afford homes and had jobs at the same company for 30 years, but since that's no longer the norm or at all feasible, why don't you go fly a kite and let me enjoy my crippling anxiety and avocado toast in fucking peace? But in astrology this kite shape right like the shape of the all of the planets in the chart and there are lots of different kinds. We've talked about them in a couple different episodes and you can google them. If you are a visual learner you might find it really easy to pick up chart shapes They tell us about the personality. In this kite thing it's less about raining in the boomer energy and is more about like what is happening with this kite right because a kite is a chart that has a grand trine and it has one placement that's forming an opposition to one of the placements in the grand trine. So you got the grand trine and that's the big wide top of the kite. That's like closer. I I consider that the top of the kite, the bottom is like where the tail would be and it's more narrow. It's a narrower triangle. That's where the opposition is. So you're imagining this, this wide triangle and then there's a line going down the middle of it. And in this chart, it's that Jupiter is the bottom point of the kite and it's forming an opposition with Pluto in 10 degrees of Sagittarius. And maybe if you are an astrology superstar or you're good at math, you might have figured out that because Pluto is in Sagittarius, it's also making some aspects to the sun and Uranus. So just to refresh, sun and Libra, Uranus and Aquarius, they're both air signs and they are two signs away from the sign of Sagittarius. And that means that they are forming sextiles. You're always going to see a sextile between an earth and a water sign and a fire and an air sign. Love it. So let's talk about these two sextiles. There's a sun and Pluto and a Pluto and Uranus. So the sun and Pluto being in trine. Trines are like a sextile and a grand trine. That It's like easy energy, right? So I'm sorry, sun and Pluto being in a sextile. It's about a powerful person or being a powerful entity, kind of this idea that you possess a lot of energy and gift. This is the message of the film, right? It's that every person is most powerful in being themselves. And I do think that this message is maybe a little obscured by the lack of diversity in the film. Like, you probably don't need me to, you know, consider the fact that Elle Woods is a cisgender, straight, attractive, blonde, young woman from a very wealthy family. So if Elle Woods does not have the resources and ability to get into Harvard Law School, then, to paraphrase Paulette, what hope do the rest of us have? And this is also a movie about individual choices. We don't spend any time really in this movie affirming that Warner's decision to break up with Elle at the beginning of the movie is perfectly acceptable. Now, I think that he doesn't do it in a great way. It's not particularly kind or respectful, And there is not a person alive who really wants to get dumped at a romantic restaurant, especially when you think that they're going to ask you to marry them. But it's not as creepy as Elle's decision to follow him to Harvard. Now, there's no indicator in the movie that Warner felt unsafe at any time that Elle had also attended the same law school he was going to, but I think we need to admit that it's a little creepy. We hear her tell the guidance counselor she's not going anywhere else besides Harvard so it's not about going to law school it's about going to law school where Warner is going to law school and you know she spends most of her senior year prepping to go to this law school. Rewatching the film and I did that recently Vivian has this very protective energy around Warner and at first I think we're supposed to be like oh she's such a frigid bitchy east coast prep girl and Now as an adult, I'm like, no, this is someone who's like trying to draw a boundary, like a line in the sand. Because I think a lot of adult people would feel a little uncomfortable with the idea that their partner's ex just happened to show up at the same law school that you and your partner are attending. And it's very clear that this person who randomly showed up, this ex, wants to reconcile with the person you are engaged to. Like I feel like her impulse to flash the family antique engagement ring on her quote bony unpolished finger it kind of tracks, you know, it It doesn't seem that bitchy upon further reflection. We also have a Uranus sextile Pluto in this chart. And this speaks to the reform of power structures and being unique and being someone who wants to make the world a more equitable place or being something that seeks to make the world a more equitable place. And on a surface level, right, like the story of Elle Woods in this movie is that she has to Be herself, learn more about herself, and still be successful in a structure. You know, we see her slowly adapt to certain things at Harvard Law School without losing herself, right? She, on her first day of class, takes notes on a spiral-bound notebook and a furry pen, but after the disastrous Halloween party, she realizes she needs to step up her game and she purchases a laptop. Instead of joining Vivian and Warner's study group where she brought muffins and thought she could just breeze on in... She realizes that they aren't going to accept her, so she needs to work hard on her own and she needs to find different people to get help from. Emmett's one, uh, David, her classmate, is another. She realizes that she wants to help other people, but it has to be her way. It's a little unconventional. She brings her client, Brooke Wyndham, Clinique Skincare, and Cosmo Magazines in prison, and she agrees to keep her alibi a secret, which other attorneys might not have considered. And she also goes up to David and pretend that they've dated so that the women he's talking to will be more interested in him. But what's weird is that for a movie that is so clearly about unfair judgment and unfairly judging other people, basically that Elle is unfairly stereotyped for her looks, there's a lot of unfair judgments that she makes towards other people or that she's a willing participant in. Now, I'm okay with letting go of the fact that she just distrusts brunettes or doesn't like them, claiming that she feels discriminated against as a blonde. And like real talk, as a natural brunette, it's not like anybody I knew who was brunette is out here like claiming fucking Chutney and her murderous, frizzy ways. We're not. Like Chutney, Linda Cardellini, again, tie back to Christina Applegate's Small World, but Like, we don't stand Chutney. Chutney is the worst. She's wearing like an oversized, what might be Chanel blazer, and she hasn't met a moose to save her life. So I I get the whole brunette thing. But what I really think we have to talk about is the truly egregious, heinous treatment of the queer characters in this movie. You probably remember Enid Wexler, and she is in fact that semester Ovestor commentary person. And she's always presented to us as this bitchy, feminist, killjoy lesbian, and someone who, you know, like, isn't very kind to Elle. And I do think it's a little unkind of Ena to basically just say to Elle, like, I know you would have talked mad shit about me behind my, you know, back and stuff and called me a dyke. And Elle's like, I don't, I actually don't use that word, but I would have been nice to you. Like, Thanks. Um, and then of course L, she's a Gemini, she's a little salty, she has to throw it back and go, I don't know that, I don't use that word, but maybe Vivian said it. Which now, like, in the context of like the Warner Vivian thing, it's maybe not the nicest, but what I'm trying to get to a point of saying is that we are really cool with like Elle being L, you know, like she's blonde, she has like a smoking jacket for law school. But Enid is just a killjoy lesbian, and, like, she's not allowed to be as unabashedly herself without us, the audience, like, questioning her validity to do that. And I, I think that's wrong. We also see that there are a couple of gay men who are hairstylists, and they're praising the bend and snap. The guy that comes out at the end, and goes, bend and snap, works every time. But the real core issue here is that Elle outs Enrique as gay in the, in the courtroom, right? And that last bit is incredibly harmful. So just for context here in Legally Blonde, right? Elle gets dumped by Warner. She goes to Harvard Law School to win him back while she's there. One of her professors, Callahan takes on a murder trial and has a bunch of first years doing what would normally be like doc review and discovery, but this is a movie. So she's getting to do a ton of stuff she wouldn't normally. So the pool boy, the person who is like the gardener, landscaper, manages the pool for Brooke Wyndham, their client, uh, says that he and Brooke were having a torrid affair, and her much older husband was aware of it. Once he found out, that's why the guy's dead. But L later, you know, like through a series of events, we'll get to in a second tells Emmett that she thinks that Enrique is gay and that they can out him and then that will poke a bunch of holes in his testimony. And what I'm getting to from an astrological standpoint is this moon-Mars opposition that's in the chart. So we have our kite shape. It's about finding balance in that and we're going to get to the Jupiter-Pluto because there's a lot to unpack there. But another opposition that's not part of that kite is going to be the moon-Mars opposition. And this In a chart can really speak to something that's bold and passionate. But if this goes unchecked, if that opposition, which is like two very disparate feelings playing out, it can make someone who wants to win at any cost, right? They're just like full Mars energy where they're not being checked by the moon and going, hey, like, what is winning if you don't have emotional health? What is winning if you don't have relationships, And I think it's like that outing of someone's sexuality or just bringing that sexuality into the courtroom in the way it happens feels kind of gross from a 2021 lens. Like we really were okay with the idea that a man knowing the designer of someone's shoes is a clear indicator that he is in fact homosexual. Like with his don't tap your last season Prada shoes at me, honey, which they aren't last season. So that does not lend a lot of credibility. And yes, I do think that, hey, a plot point of Brooke having an affair with her pool boy or pool man is trite and it has some questionable power dynamics. But like, yes, Enrique did thread the needle of saying, this is the person I was having a sexual relationship with. And that is uncomfortable because of course, he's asserting some kind of sexuality onto Brooke that she doesn't have but he's also her employee. It's just very messy. And I think it's that moon Mars of like, okay, now we've outed someone in a courtroom and gotten him in trouble with his boyfriend, Chuck, because of course Emmett's line of questioning was, and where did you take her out for a date? And, um, what's the name of your boyfriend? And he says, Chuck. And then he says, no, I meant friend. And then Chuck yells, you bitch. So if you, I mean, if you haven't seen this movie, it's on Netflix, get it done. But, I think this moon Mars thing is also like a reminder to all of us that like, just because we do have the ability to do something like we have to consider at what cost does that have in a meta way. And to really stir the pot on this topic as I feel only a Gemini can. I have thought about this for a couple of days now and I just, I'm kind of sitting with it. So I'm just going to posit it to you. I think it is very weird knowing that Victor Garber, who is Professor Callahan in this movie, he now publicly identifies as gay. He has gotten married to a man and Holland Taylor, who has discussed in a couple of articles since this movie came out that the majority of her romantic relationships have been with women. And of course she's dating, um, Sarah. Oh my God. From American Horror Story. Sarah Paulson. They read this script in like 2019, and they took on these roles as actors you know, in these roles, but they weren't publicly out. Like they read the script. They knew exactly about this Enrique thing and the way that, you know, Enid would be portrayed. And they knew that. And in Victor Garber's case, he was in the scene with Enrique where they, you know, he's outed. And that Mars Moon opposition of like, how do you feel about being someone who is gay or queer and simultaneously being in a movie that does not really respect that identity? And like, how heavy that must have felt and how hard that is because you're a person who gets this role. It seems like a good role, but also it's complicated by this and it feels like that moon Mars opposition. Now I'm going to leave that. We're going to come to the Jupiter Pluto opposition. This is really important. I think in this chart, and it's also an incredibly intense placement to me. I was talking about the, you know, like brownie plate of the grand trine and all, but to me, This, like, placement is very, I want people to be afraid of how much they love me kind of thing. Like when Jupiter and Pluto are in opposite signs, this is about ambition and achievement. And it's about a certain level of personal dynamism. This person like walks in the room and the energy shifts. And in a way, the movie is that too, because it has this cultural impact that we just couldn't have anticipated that it would. And it's that power that's Pluto and the luck that Jupiter kind of create together. It's also again about that way to forge your own path but you're learning to compromise that kind of reminds me of that um, Uranus Pluto playing out those similar themes and I do think that this finding your own path but learning to compromise is of course echoed in the film's plot Elle's incredibly driven she gets into Harvard Law she has an LSAT score that would put her in the top one percent of candidates nationwide but as the Bechdel podcast and that's a podcast where women who are they basically look at how women are portrayed in media, typically movies, and how often those conversations between two women revolve around male characters and relationships. They mention that she really had to change everything about herself to get this man back. That was like the narrative that this film could be perceived as promoting. That Elle was told at the beginning of the movie, I need to marry a Jackie and you're too much of a Marilyn. So you ha- either become a Jackie or stay a Marilyn. And that's really problematic because... What it's missing is anyone who does not want the person that you really are is not fucking worth your time. They're not worth moving across the country and wasting an entire senior year on an LSAT for. And this problematic narrative has some small nugget of wisdom, right? Because maybe it's Gemini season, maybe it's Mercury retrograde, maybe it's all of the eclipses, but like there is something to glean here. And this is where I got a little defensive. Elle grew as a person because she got dumped and she did some creepy shit and I'm not gonna be able to completely divorce myself from that but the reality is not all of us are able to just like motivate ourselves internally. We're not just gonna be able to wake up one day and go I need to go to the gym more and for some of us myself included these moments of disappointment and rejection are what fuel us. It could be that we experience the door slamming in our face proverbially and then we think well fuck you universe like watch me be successful like I don't need you or maybe it's that you hear that like you hear no when you wanted to hear yes and it makes you really recognize how important something is to you because it hurts that much more that it didn't happen or you realize how much more like you're willing to go through to get to that goal but I also want to highlight the Gemini energy of this movie with that natal Jupiter in Gemini because just as a as a PSA from one Gemini to the world Not all Gemini. Elle, like any good Gemini, knows that if people are jerks to you, then you should do what the New Yorker cartoon says. Because if you can't say anything nice, say something clever and devastating. And on a more playful note, I do think that Gemini's like happy, joyful, inclusive nature comes through Elle Woods because she loves to plan parties. She loves to bring in eclectic groups of friends to celebrate Geminis are ruled by Mercury, and that means that they are verbal, they love to communicate, they love to think. Elle is quick on her feet, whether it's catching Chutney in a lie about washing her newly permed hair, because any Cosmo girl would know, or the ability to just make stuff up on the spot to help Paulette get her puppy back. Because yes, it is absolute BS that she is batting to Paulette's ex, but she's clever enough to know that he's not going to figure it out in the time that it takes to get that dog. And that brings me to another segment of the salty sunshine astrology of characters in Legally Blonde. Now, we know that Elle is a Gemini sun, so I'm not going to cheat and just say, cool, Elle's a Gemini sun, glad we covered it. Instead, I'm going to do the big three for a couple of characters. There are lots of flat characters in this movie, um, and they're mostly men, so this is even more fun. Elle is a Gemini Sun but I am here to argue to you the jury that she is a Leo rising and a Libra moon. First and foremost if you know a Leo rising then you know they have really good hair and natural poise and warmth. I know I'm jealous of them too whatever they're also very vain. Eh, Sometimes they're not okay but Elle is definitely a Leo rising. She's very confident. She's very poised. She has exceptional hair. Her hair is kind of a characteristic of her that is like the actual title of the fucking movie and she's committed to being fair diplomatic expressing her emotions through clothing and those are very Libra moon characteristics now Paulette I had a lot of fun with I really like to imagine Paulette as a Pisces son she is romantic she has a sweet outlook she has kind of this daydreamy energy about the UPS guy that she has a huge crush on And I feel like a Pisces dog mom would totally throw a bitching birthday party for their dog. We see that Paulette isn't one who also enjoys conflict. Um, She, you know, when it came to getting custody of her dog, she didn't want to fight a lot with her ex, despite the fact that she deeply cares about this animal. And I think Paulette is an Aquarius rising. She has very eclectic style. In one scene alone, she combines turquoise rings, a pink t-shirt with a giant tiger on it, scrunchies and a denim like tuxedo mom with a vest and skirt but this is jennifer coolidge so it's not just like like chill aquarius pisces energy we also have some cross remarks some inappropriate one-liners and that is pure sag moon paulette is not afraid to let you know how it is Uh, in the second movie which we're not going to talk about because there's just like too much going on she says that Elle's you know campaign to end animal cruelty quote makes her want a hot dog real bad Vivian is a Scorpio I'm sorry she is she mentioned Merlot and that to me is a weird indicator of Scorpio placements I don't know why I'm still working on that also something else I'm working on if you are Virgo rising Are you attracted to only neutral nail polish? I can think of three people who this fits wondering if it's a thing. Let me know. But Vivian is intense and exceptional at clocking the behavior of those around her, which is very Scorpio. She may not be saying anything, but she is taking it in. And like a Scorpio, she strategically reveals information when she feels like it's a good time to do so instead of being like an open book. Also, who else but a Scorpio would respect keeping a secret? Because we see Vivian, like, give Elle a look or respond to the fact that Elle is unwilling to tell Brooks' alibi as this kind of cherished moment. Now, I think Vivian is a Capricorn rising. She enjoys clean lines in her clothing. She has a very controlled demeanor. She has good cheekbones. She likes mostly earth tones or very neutrals. I think that Vivian is a Taurus moon. She has a caring, feminine, driven side. And that six carat engagement ring plays into that Taurus moon need for security. She really has an Earth-heavy big three, in my opinion. And I think that speaks to the fact that she had to work hard to get into Harvard. She's on the same murder trial with Ellen Warner. She participates frequently in class. I also see some Vivian being that moon opposite sun person where her son is in Scorpio, her moon is in Taurus, because she behaves one way and how she really feels are not typically in sync. We do see her have like a facial expression that's very clear about what she's thinking and feeling in that moment. But through a lot of the movie, she's very dismissive of Elle. But it's very clear when Vivian's like readily shares with Elle that Warner got waitlisted and doesn't know how to do his own laundry... And they both lament how sexist their law school experience has been. The fixed sign part of Vivian too is that Vivian's clearly very secure in like a lot of who she is. You know, whether it's her engagement to Warner that she eventually ends or her style or her opinion, you know, she kind of... in There's a scene where Emmett and Vivian go to Brooke in jail and they're talking about why Al, Al is no longer there on the case. And Emmett explains that she was actually... And of sexually assaulted by Professor Callahan. He put his hands like on her thigh and it was really gross. And Vivian was like, no, they're together. And Emma's like, that's not true. That's not what happened. And Vivian was so self-assured, which felt very fixed sign. But then I think she was like, oh no, I've made a terrible mistake. Like all of these placements are people who are really measured and poised and very much consi- like people who are considerate about what's happening. And I think she realizes like, She's made a terrible mistake in how she judged in her fixed sign way about who L really was. Now Emmett, continuing with some of that earth sign, very stableness, Emmett to me is a Virgo sun, also cap rising, but a Cancer moon. He is very hardworking. He's very diligent. He is patient like a Virgo. He works for Callahan at the law firm that Callahan works for, and he's really good at being organized, getting things done, being a leader, and like Vivian, a fellow Cap Rising, he's very streamlined fashion sense and aesthetic. He's not as preppy as she is, but he just likes certain colors, clean lines. But his Cancer Moon is like right on the surface. He is has such a pure nurturing heart. He believes in Elle so much. He coaches her through her first trial. He believes that she knows how to connect with other people. He believes her when she says Callahan assaulted me and he doesn't take into account his own experience with the professor as a way to negate her experience which I really liked that they did in this movie Emmett really cares deeply we get that sense from him and I think that because he and Elle are both sun signs ruled by Mercury we see a lot of their discussion and dialogue as the foundation of their relationship they meet when they're sitting out on a bench and she's upset about classes and then they start a conversation and just really hit it off And that felt like this kind of shared mercurial energy. So to wrap it up, Legally Blonde premiered in the United States on June 26, 2001. It would go on to be nominated for two Golden Globe Awards and an MTV Movie Award. The sequel, Red, White, and Blonde, began filming in November 2002 and premiered on July 2, 2003 to coincide with the Fourth of July holiday in the United States. There was also Illegally Blonde, the musical, which opened in 2007 and which had an MTV show detailing the casting of Elle Woods. Uh, It would later go to Laura Bell Bundy. Also, if anyone else is watching Showtime Couples Therapy, which I was for a brief moment when it was free, Laura Bell Bundy being on there is a total trip. Okay, but the date that I need to talk about here is not Laura Bell Bundy's Couples Therapy. It is that on October 20th, 2020, we find ourselves in Libra season yet again. That always happens in October. And this time, the North Node on this day is in Gemini and it is forming a trine to the Sun in Libra and Uranus in Aquarius in the original chart for this movie. The Hollywood Reporter ran an article about the cast of Legally Blonde hosting a charity fundraiser via Zoom. And it was during this fundraiser that they announced that the third Legally Blonde movie. Would be released in May 2022. And I know, I know, we're in a dark spot with the franchise. Not all franchise films are created equal. Uh, Ride, White, and Blonde did not hold up. But as Elle reminds us in her commencement address at the end of Legally Blonde, you must always have faith in people, and most importantly, have faith in yourself. So, fingers are crossed that Mindy Kaling and the writing team are here to bring some much needed diversity to this franchise. And give us, like, the sequel we really deserved. So, whether you organized a Lesbians Against Drunk Driving March or Dewormed Orphans in Somalia, or if it's been suggested that Stephen Hawking stole his brief history of time from your fourth grade paper, please know that everyone and everything has a birth chart, but yours is a chart of fortune. Thank you for listening, and know that without you, this podcast would be like a half-loop stitch hem on a low-viscosity rayon meaning it would fall the fuck apart. Whether you've been listening since the very beginning or brand new, I'm truly glad you're here. If you like this episode of Chart of Fortune, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. I will be forever thankful, like Cameron Diaz at Fred Siegel, when Elle talked her out of buying this truly heinous Angora sweater. Because whoever said orange was the new pink is seriously disturbed. Thank you, I love you, and I will see you on Friday for a special summer series of bonus episodes. Bye!